Welcome to Team Talk from Team Kinetic with me, Chris Martin. And me, Imo Greatbatch. Team Talk is the podcast that dives deeper into the world of volunteer management, getting to know the people who help make volunteering happen, why they do it, how they do it, and what they want to see change. If you are new to listening to the podcast, a big warm welcome to you. But if you've listened before, welcome back. So this week, we're joined by Danielle, Danielle Hogan. She is a diversity and belonging business partner from England Netball. We're also joined by Richard Evans, who is the strategic lead for disability at England Netball. So welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, same. And Danielle Rich, welcome to Team Talk. This is very exciting as a fellow colleague coming on the podcast. Thank you for coming. But this season, we really wanted to feature guests who could help us explore inclusion and accessibility needs to embed great experiences. So I'm really excited that we can kind of start to explore how and what your roles are and what's happening in netball to try and drive some of that inclusion and 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 what is belonging Danielle I'm really excited to get into kind of what that is and how we kind of can create that sense of belonging in in sport definitely going to come back to the word belonging because I think it's such an interesting it's an interesting term to use in a job description it's really keen to sort of dig a bit deeper into that in a in a, in a while but we always like to start the pod off by getting to know our, our guests a little bit and trying to understand where they've come from and how they've you know the journey that's brought them to where they are currently and how their personal journey has been impacted by volunteering themselves and where that's brought you to in sort of your, your current your current working life so I guess we'll uh, we'll go ladies first Danielle your journey is not the classic sports development journey by any stretch of the imagination yours is you know, from a from a psychology background and working in business to uh, England netball it's a, a slightly unusual journey by the normal sports development officers that we've talked to tell us a little bit about sort of how you've come to come to England netball but the, the, you took to get here first of all good morning are we still at morning yeah good morning <laughs> just about. yeah just about it feels like I've had a whole working day already so um but yeah unusual I guess I mean I'm starting to feel that and see that a little bit now the more people that I speak to everybody most people have been like sport 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 and they perhaps have gone from one governing body to another or they've worked for various organizations or charities in sport but I think it's almost for me it's it's my worlds have collided perfectly because yeah my background is in business psychology but I've always played netball and always been a huge fan of basketball and I guess a bit of footy but uh basketball and netball have been my my whole life both parents are players and coaches uh and tutors and coach educators and so I've grown up even though my parents were never together I grew up with just my mom both of them if I did tap into my dad it'd be on the side of a net basketball court or we did go for lunch and he'd be taking calls about athletes and so it was always like my life has always been sport outside of any work so I guess although it might seem a little um different it's almost like that perfect mix now of work but in sports there's a couple of interesting things there for me the idea of the significant others in your upbringing being impactful in what you end up doing in terms of your love for sport I I certainly sort of have a similar kind of experience with with my mum and dad you know a lot of our time was spent in and around doing for me in my case it was swimming but uh you know the Oh, so you were up early in the morning then, Chris? Very, oh, my mum my still up for that, to be fair. You know, th- three days a week at 5am in the oh. freezing cold in the middle of winter. It was awful. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, when we think about volunteering, the I, I don't know if there's any research out there on it. Maybe you guys may know more of me more about it than me but seeing your parents be involved in it like that, the impact that has on you, I think it's quite, you know, maybe it's we, we underestimate that sometimes. And when we're trying to encourage people to volunteer whether they appreciate you know what you've seen is what you do what you know you see what you, you see and then you thought I don't know you got any thoughts on any of that asking me yeah absolutely yeah. and I think what's interesting and we probably would get onto that a bit further but I, I was thinking about about this you don't see it as volunteering no that, yeah. that's that's the thing you just see it as that's what people do and that's what we all do but it, you're volunteering like I'm coaching now but I, I volunteer, I'm a volunteer and it's and honestly as naive as this sounds of course if anybody really broke it down to me I'm doing something I'm not getting paid for it yep. but I wouldn't be thinking that I'm a volunteer and I've joined England Netball and now I'm like we need to fly the flags for volunteers like the word volunteering is this cute it's the and I think coming back off the Commonwealth Games for me and seeing that the obviously they've got 
the money and and the rest of it to make that experience what it was but those volunteers felt like they belonged and there was a whole program design like being a volunteer was the best thing ever people took annual leave to be a volunteer it's it's, it really motivated me and like meeting Imo and the amazing work that Imo does and and then really recognizing that everybody all my life in netball literally all my life since I've been I was born my mum was playing netball they've all been volunteers it's like been this like red like this moment where I've been like, oh my gosh! And like obviously I know it. The sports volunteer piece as well is always interesting for me because in 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 sort of the more traditional volunteer set, setting it is a bit clearer. You are a bit more cause driven often, whereas in sport you're driven by the sport primarily, and often because your kids are involved in that sport. So it's a slightly different relationship, and mm. I think live sport finds it very hard to. Very hard, but often don't recognise the volunteer in the same way. There's sort of like just an assumption that, you know, the volunteers do what they do. And like you say, the world's changing around us in terms of people, the demands on people's attention, what what people have access to and what they can do as considered leisure time. And this idea of volunteering, it's not just something you, not just something you do, it's not something you buy, it's not something you consume, it's something you actively have to be involved in and, and take part in. And I think, it, you know, like you say, that, that, that belonging piece for the, the for those big events are great. But I sometimes worry that those big events are sort of almost consumerized volunteering. It's a little passion, mm. you get lots of nice free stuff. Yeah, turn yeah. Up and you're, whereas, you know, sports volunteering in its more traditional form is some, some poor soul's got to be on that committee. Uh, yeah. Somebody's got to be that treasurer. So, you know, that's... Yeah. Yeah. But I, think, I, th- I feel like this is like a really good segue to move for Rich, because I feel like yeah. you've got quite... You, Danielle, I always get so motivated listening to you and I'm really excited and I'm so pleased like our worlds have joined together. But this cause-related volunteering versus kind of then just created journey because of your circumstance, whether you were on the side of a, of a pitch and no one was volunteering. So I've got onto it. It's really interesting. And Rich, you've come from a phys- physiotherapy at University of Tyneside, strategic lead for di- disability and netball. And, and your career has been quite focused on the inclusion of people with disabilities but also you have this fantastic world as a volunteer in botcher, which is a completely different sport. Tell us, tell us a bit about your journey and kind of the, the cerebral palsy sport talent manager role and all of the different things that have brought you to your role in England netball. Yeah, okay. Um, I think significant others, going back to that theme that Danielle brought, was, in, was key, as a key catalyst for me. My parents in particular, uh, my dad was involved in disability sport. His whole life he's a another therapist as well even down to in the family setting the way that we were a respite care family for uh, parents who had children with a disability to give them a weekend break so i've literally been brought up in in a volunteer kind of role even down to the church settings and the kind of roles you'd have in, in a church setting and, and things as i matured and grew up my volunteering start i can i can remember the day i started volunteering <laughs> It was a uh, Northeast Championships at uh, Nissan on Sunderland, who, uh, who there's a big factory in Nissan in Sunderland, and there was a, a botcher competition. Botcher is a, a Paralympic sport played by people with uh, some of the highest level of physical disabilities. And the way it started was um, my dad simply saying, oh, if you do this, you get a day off school. And I was like, yes. <laughs> it's all about incentive. It. It's all about incentive. So he found that button and he pushed it. And and that was it. And I was 15 years old and loved it. Uh, you know, I loved the the sense um, of freedom, but also that uh, maturity that you get. And regardless of your age, because of the role that you take on. Ever since then, um, I was then involved in in the sport from literally my first international competition. I was just a I was just a runner. I would just go and get the lunches. I would just do. But I was a part of the team and a part of talking about belonging. And um, we can think about belonging from a national governing body perspective, which is probably what we're talking about today. But I think I felt that belonging within that environment uh, with the people that I that I had. Did I link to the national governing body at the time? Not particularly, but I absolutely had a, a place in that team. And that kind of just grew and I went through university and ended up um, going down the officiating route to becoming a, an international referee and i also do the same in power chair football as well uh, which is again uh, it's football with electric wheelchairs uh think a little bit like dodgems something like <laughs> something similar like that it's a fifa sport 
and I'm a classifier there, so I look at people's different levels of functional ability. So I use my physio skills a bit more in, in that area. But I think all the way through my journey as a non-traditional physio, uh, I've always worked in a sports setting. Ultimately, in order to do anything, volunteers have been central. They, It's just a, a standard, an assumption. And I think that's maybe where sometimes... Yeah, maybe volunteers are undervalued because there is that assumption that's made because they have to be there in order to make something happen. So I continued in that role. I continued in in, in Paralympic sports. Uh, I worked for the national governing body um, of uh, of Botcher called Botcher England. Um, I ended up at, at England netball actually as a little as a little bit of a bet to be honest because uh, I never quite understood why. In, um, yeah, netball didn't really have a disability offer. And a friend of mine, Lauren Templeton, who used to work for England Netball and, and now works for um, GB Wheelchair Rugby, um, we'd talked about this for, for years. Like, why isn't there a disability offer? Anyway, the job came up. She sent it to me and said, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And that's how I actually ended up at, at England Netball, not really knowing much about netball, which I was very honest about in my interview. I didn't bluff anyone. I said, don't know netball, but I do know do know disability. And then over the last few years, again in an area of the sport which relies so heavily on volunteers, um, it's grown and grown and grown. And the need and the requirement and the the want from the volunteering sector to be more involved in this area. Often we give those volunteers an opportunity and they soak it up and they want to do more. It brings us nicely onto the, the next question, which is what are the what are the challenges for, for sports to make them more inclusive, be it from a people with different backgrounds or be it for people with different disabilities? What, why, why do we think sport has often found this so challenging? What are your thoughts on, on the challenges that, no, I'm not thinking netball specifically here, but more generally, why, why does sport find this challenge, being more open and inclusive? What, what are the issues behind that? What are the underlying issues? Is it just a wider societal thing and sport reflects that? Or is there, is there certain things that are intrinsic in sort of the, the club nature of sport that makes it a little bit more close shop sometimes to people. I don't know. I'd just be interested to see what your, your thoughts are as to the, the sort of the broader challenges you think that sports face. Wow. Amazing question. I wish we knew the answer. I don't think, and, and again, this it's, it's, uh, I can only speak really from my, my perspective and from what, from, you know, the work that I've been involved in. And I don't think, I think we've got such a way to go, but I also think, as you said, it's very reflective of society in general when we're talking about inclusion. And I think that it goes back to the point around belonging, that you connect and feel feel like you belong when you're in a collective and when you're connected to people that are like you. It's almost like when, when those in sport, when those opportunities haven't been there, or where you don't see it, then we're not growing it. We're not going to change anything. People want to feel like they belong. But I feel optimistic because I feel like we see so, I mean, Rich must must talk and feel this way, much, a connection to this more than me um, from my his experience much more than mine. But in terms of disability and parasport, wow, what we've seen in the last few years has been the growth in terms of what we see. But I'm not necessarily talking about grassroots or what really is going on, but in terms of what we see, the... there's been a cultural change, I think, around it that you know it's 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 no longer frowned upon or shunned or put done on the side. It's you know it's sort of held up as a as an example of elite sport. You know, you know when you have the Paralympics, granted only every four years, but there has definitely been a. It feels like there has been a culture change. There has. I feel. I feel like there's a little bit there where we need to be careful, um, and it's the same. It is that representation versus inclusion, and yep. we can represent and we can show that there are people with disabilities on TV, on yeah. strictly come dancing, on on you know, and we can offer a para competition at the Commonwealth Games, um, and we can show black athletes on marketing campaigns and whatever. But yep. there's the inclusion and understanding the needs and really including those people from marginalised groups. That's yep. where we've still got the challenge. I mean, we have to start somewhere. And I'm proud yep. of yep. where we're, we're trying to move to as a society. And I'm proud that my children are brought up in where on TV watching a para competition is just no different is just what it is that, that, yeah. that I've got kids that are seeing that and and you know for Rich with with his daughter as well must must feel the same or 
you know, that we've got a black dancer on Strictly because my girls dance um, a bit. Yeah. We, we all dabble a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, would see, you know, a black female dancer, professional dancer on Strictly win for two years. Like we are representing some minority groups here and some marginalised groups. And she could be, it's that kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a, an underlying, there's an inclusion piece that is, diff is you know, is different to that. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think there's a difference as well between then the I guess the experience that they have once they are volunteering and how that differs. There's some great research by Activity Alliance on disability volunteers. And, mm. and actually, people, deaf and disabled people are more likely to volunteer than non-disabled people. Mm. But also the experience that they have, they're much more likely to encounter, have a negative experience in that volunteering role. So it's not just about getting them to volunteer to get them to start. It's also then the experience that they have and the barriers that they have once that volunteering yeah. role has been found. And and I guess that's almost the belonging part. How do you make it? How do you make that volunteering role sticky? Yeah, I, I mean, I was I was actually thinking about the participation side, but you, Rich, you're totally right. As we talked before about what we see our, our significant others doing, it's not so much just about seeing people play. It's about being reflected throughout the organisation and the organisation being sensitive to the particular needs of various individuals and their you know their particular circumstance you're right it's one thing to have somebody play it's another thing to see a person from a, a marginalized group as the chair of the organization or you know in a, mm. in a traditional leadership role that lived experience and being reflected through sort of the culture of the organization i've not sort of thought that far down that line but yeah, i think you're totally right having a dis having a disabled volunteer isn't necessarily the same as having that person's lived experience reflected in the culture of the organization that's sort of difference between tokenism of having that person volunteering in a very basic capacity versus that person having some kind of leadership role so yeah it's really some very interesting thought activity alliance they are the sport england um i guess quangos uh they look after all of the disability within the national governing body sports so they cover all of us and it's called encouraging more disabled people to volunteer in sport and it was it was released about i think it's 2017 2018 and yeah it's it's a really important document um that looks at yeah the, the numbers but also the barriers but also where they are to how people are treated sometimes the the difference and um, the costs in order for them to volunteer you know the cost for a disabled person in order to to mm. get to a place where they volunteer whether that's transport or personal care issues you know, that much mm. wider perspective so it i think to kind of merge the two of participation and in volunteering i think many of them from a disabled person's point of view the barriers are, are actually quite similar <laughs> the barriers that to volunteering in whether that's a a entry level position or that's a committee uh, will actually be quite similar to those whether you're whether you're playing sport so yeah it's a, it's a really good good piece and they often just to um give activity alliance a shout out they often have supporting documents as well that that talk through the, actually how they did the research too so if people want to do a deep dive then it's absolutely possible to, to do so and I, I think this is really interesting kind of rich and where you talk about participation and then volunteering the the two are absolutely interdependent because we cannot grow participation at the, across the country to kind of address the inactivity levels that are talked about in sport england strategy un, unless we also consider the growth and that inclusion by design from the start of people who give their time because the infrastructure of paid workforce just will never be able to facilitate the numbers that 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 we need to kind of encourage activity and i guess a key key question for me kind of bringing it back to netball is you've both got two quite distinct roles how and and netball have gone into this new adventure with with quite a clear purpose around leading a movement on and beyond the court upholding that unapologetic focus on women and girls but also whilst opening the game for new audiences to belong flourish and soar so how do the how do your two roles work within that and what sort of things do you do rich around inclusion and the vehicles for people to feel um engaged and included in netball and danielle i know you've only been in since september last year but sort of what sort of things are you driving create that sense of belonging in in netball i think to a certain extent the honest answer is we're still working it out um you know where is that that line and not that it has to be distinctive i think actually to have a little bit of overlap is is healthy and, and is good 
I think my area is is probably a bit more, um, I guess, getting the numbers to play, or in this case, to to volunteers. The actual the the, the physical funnels to in, increase participation, and what then that might look like when it comes to on the ground from a support point of view, from a barriers point of view. So uh, I guess the the strategy, the Paranetball strategy, which we released several years ago, was very much about how do we go from 300 odd people, I think it was 342 people with where, with a disability within England netball, how do we increase that? And you know, we now have around five thousand a year. We're now the the largest team sport for women um, with uh, who with deaf and disabilities, um, having just taken over from the FA, um, which is great. Uh, sport England's figures, not mine, so that it's not me twisting them. That very much around that practical application as to how do we move someone from not doing something to doing something. Well, when, when Emo started asking Rich, I suddenly thought, hmm, is this for Emo's own when she's writing her strategies and then <laughs> she's leading on all these strategies at work, Emo's trying to make sure that she's got it quite clear in her mind. Because and I'm glad Rich gave an honest answer that we're, we're there's such a crossover, there's there's a crossover, but there's also we are figuring it out. Like, of course, it's the start of a new year and we um really kind of digging deep I guess into that a little bit to try and put some structure that's that's really just differentiate us but at the same time Rich and I always as we have has been a complete ally to me since I've started at England Netball and we'll cross over I'm always tapping into Richard's apostrophe s uh, amazing knowledge and um, his motivation in the space like he's been brilliant for me I've really enjoyed working with Rich and that that will never change I'll always be ringing him up for ideas and to tap into his brain but um, I think, as Rich said, it's quite, you know, focused on the numbers and increasing engagement, increasing participation. And then I think where where I come in is, is then behind the scenes. Like when people do then come in and we do increase numbers, the people that we've already got in our organisation, how are they ensuring that those people are feeling like they belong? What do those people know? How do they how do they engage with people from communities that they have never worked with or played with or had dinner with you know what and that's that's the gap that's what's happening so we might get people in and I want to make sure that then when we are getting more numbers and we are increasing participation for the benefit of those who are participating which is my first thing but obviously for our organization it's also important it's theirs as well but it's also important that we're getting we're getting numbers in and we get that support to keep us going but uh, when we are when we do engage with minority or marginalized groups when they then engage in when they then connect to our sport and the people in it what then happens how are those people supported and geared up to working with communities we can't just stick community officers or people in areas and volunteers in areas and say we want to increase participation in for this group and those people don't know how to even talk to that group or what their needs might be of that group and that's where i see my my key priorities for the start of this year and moving forward uh, it's a really interesting one you've both sort of touched upon it about inclusion getting people into your existing do you what's your thoughts around this idea of creating spaces for people from the marginalized groups to have their own clubs and their own you know is it about including people in the existing structures or about creating new structures that account differences if that makes sense is there is it Sort of include them in the wider sport but in their own space or is it about including them in the same space as that already exists what are your thoughts around I mean, that kind of argument it's a little bit of an external existential crisis or a common yeah. question really because you know mm -hmm. are, are we doing things which are um inclusive bringing yep. everyone together or are we doing something tailored and specific yeah. now my will in in disability we, we've toyed and we yo-yo between these two things massively and the reality is is that we want to do both mm. i think we have to recognize that as a national governing body but just as a sport you know, we need to be bringing in more people of a wider demographics in order to to enjoy the enjoy the sport so we need to make our offers more accessible more more inclusive However, there is also a place to recognize cultural differences, uh, different barriers, and to do something purposeful and specific around that. An example being, I'll give two examples. One from the disability world is we set up a network of clubs called Core Inclusive Clubs. These are mainly in mainstream netball clubs that run sessions throughout the week, different age groups, different leagues and things. However, once a month or so, maybe a little bit more frequently that, but mainly once a month, they will host a disability specific session. 
Okay. Where people can come along and can play with their peers, can be have that coaching tailored to them. Yeah. And whilst they are entirely welcome to come to any other session, actually that specific exclusive, you might say, that exclusive yep. session is actually yep. the one that they come to. And so, yes, we need to make the sport more inclusive, but we also need to recognize that there are sometimes some very specific needs that need to be addressed in a very specific way. Second example of that is my role was expanded about 18 months, two years ago now to um, add and inclusion on, which I think, as I've said before, and inclusion literally means everyone. But I've taken that in the more specific areas of looking in uh, deprived communities and in Muslim women communities. In order to engage um, uh, the Muslim community, yes, we can be more inclusive in our generic back to netball sessions. But there are times when we need to be specific and to address cultural needs and, yeah. uh, and to recognize the differences in order to be able to include them. And I think that that doesn't necessarily mean that the game that they're playing is any different. It doesn't mean that we're not changing stuff in, from that perspective, but it's maybe our approach. It's maybe the environment that we're in order to be more um, user friendly, to be more, more inclusive. So I think that, I think it's, it, we have to do both to be successful in, the, in this area. Danielle, I think it's really interesting. I, I wasn't interrogating you for any strategy writing there, mm -hmm. um, but you know, <laughs> I know, I know. But I think so just kind of, you know, that it's inclusion is really important to me and into volunteering. And I guess there's some stuff that England Netball have done around belonging report to understand where we are now and kind of like what the landscape looks like. But also the concept of those that are already engaged. How do we know whether or not they're consciously inclusive or any unconscious bias is a big topic that's been talked about. And I know you've been kind of involved rich and then you've picked up Danielle quite a lot of the conscious inclusion stuff that England Netball have started to roll out to support those consider that as as a topic so just talk to us a little bit about that and also how we mitigate the fear in some of the discomfort that comes with sometimes the reality that we might not be as as inclusive as we are and how we support people to feel comfortable with being uncomfortable as long as it's kind of driving positive change. Twofold. I mean, people don't know what they don't know for a start. So that's, and that, you know, it sounds, you know, just to throw away comment, but it is absolutely true. You don't know what, what you're missing at, what you're not seeing or what, where your gaps are unless they're pointed out to you. And the first, Emma, what was the first bit point that About you the, con the conscious inclusion training, like that was the response to the belonging report and support and a supportive free training tool for volunteers or just generally people in netball to be more inclusive or aware so yeah england netball did an amazing piece of work the conscious inclusion tra uh, training is brilliant and in terms in terms of the fact that we used local netballers we used real people there is it, it was recorded there's a video it's modules you go through it it's really accessible it's really easy to use and it starts to provide you with it's thought provoking and it starts to think about makes you think about maybe some of your unconscious bias and some of the things that you might think it's in a very specific setting. It's netball on 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 the core and, and what happens. And obviously, there's been any negative pushback to, to that kind of approach because it, it it can making people feel uncomfortable can cause them to react in a way that make you know when they're uncomfortable that they well, can be negative. You know, what, what's been the general sense? And has there been anything negative back against it? The honest answer for me is I haven't been there long enough to know. But Fair enough. But no, not from those, not, I think, from those who probably feel like they needed a bit of info. And it, it would, and it's easy, Chris, you're watching something on your own with your headphones on. You okay. feel yeah, yeah, on yeah. your own. Yeah. You're not in a group or being put on the spot. Yeah. Uh, you're just watching training. So, yeah. so no. And those people who feel like they might need something or it might be a bit useful, um, probably have really enjoyed it and got something out of it. Those who are probably work within this space or are just a little bit more clued up when it comes to some of the change, some of the challenges and the barriers that are in place, may have felt slightly differently. Like, well, there's much more to it than that. You know, it's only gone into a certain space. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I think there'll be there's there's the diff you know differences, but there's definitely like you know a, a good response in terms of creating that and developing that where it's sat. And then this is where my I guess background and what I'm doing now sometimes I'm I'm finding challenging and I'm getting there is because in the world of business people do what you tell them to do almost obviously <laughs> it might say something like that 
yeah and obviously <laughs> you know a leadership and cultural head-on we're not just dictating to people and it's made that you yeah, know people yeah. are involved and engaged and that they make some choices themselves but ultimately this is what we're driving in as an organization and if you're part yeah. of our organization this is what you do i'm now working organization with all of these amazing volunteers that drive the organization so when I look and say, so is everybody done this conscience? How do we know who's done it? We, we don't really, or, you know, yeah. do they have to do it? Mm, not really. So for me, it's there. And there are things that are available perhaps for people to tap into if they want to. And yep. that's where I'm having to really start to learn and want to learn more about volunteering in sport and it, for an organization and how, which I'm, I guess has been in most you know, one of the biggest challenges all the time, you know, how do we engage volunteers, really keep them going and motivate them to do the amazing work they're doing in the community, but also trying to instill some of our values and the things that we, the standards that we kind of expect. So that, that merge of, um, of those two things that I've mentioned that that's where I'm, I feel like I'll be challenged throughout, which are great challenges, but yeah, that's, that's probably one of the biggest things. I think it's really brave for uh, a governing body to sort of take a, an unashamed stance on something like this because it's, it's as I mentioned at the start, it's easy to sort of follow the sort of social, you know, what's going on in wider society and ignore it and don't worry about it because it'll sort of, you know, it's just society, you know, sport's not there to, to fix this stuff. But it's quite a quite brave for an NGB, I think, to sort of say, no, these are our values. This is what we think. This is how we think you should treat people. And this is how we, we want to, you know, we want to be unashamedly inclusive sort of thing. It's a, you know, not, not necessarily all your members and all your volunteers into it but at least as a sort of an ngb you're saying this is what we this is the, the sort of the standard we want to set and this is the way we think people should behave towards each other it's a subtle thing but it's it's sort of you put you are pushing against the general culture to sort of say no we, we're holding ourselves to a higher standard than society in general i think it's quite uh yeah quite for me it's what sports are all about you know honestly but, but i think um and rich i know we were here sort of in uh development of the adventure strategy but I, th- I think that's where when it's really purposeful and and the purpose that's been defined in in the kind of new netball adventure strategy it's not just the governing body saying what's right it's been informed by a, like hundreds of drawings from different people in the netball kind of community or people that we've talked to about netball that actually then were themed into common themes and threads of what what people wanted the future to look like, as well as kind of, you know, thousands of opinions that have come through through our different um, survey mechanisms that actually certainly, and Rich, Danielle, share what you think, but I feel fundamentally the vision feels right for the sport in the country, and that's why it's so important that that we drive those values to ensure that netball is a, a great place and we know when netball is brilliant the incredible things that it gives to those that are involved you know so women and girls can can feel really um safe and and that they can take part with dignity and that side of things which is a really important part of inclusion but then we are still kind of ensuring that we have partnerships with organizations like England um, Men's and Mixed Netball Association because we can see a growing demand for the game for men as well and it's how do we work together with others to nurture that. I was going to ask about that actually because I I played netball at university we used to play against the the basketball team used to play against the netball team so I I was you know we talk about inclusion but there is the massive elephant in the room that netball is very much a women's game you know not to get anyone in trouble or anything just thoughts ideas what's the you know what's what's the uh, we're talking about inclusion. How do we how do you, you know account for the other fifty percent of the population? I don't think that um, that going into a deep philosophical uh, no, debate no. At, at this stage around this and there's so many other things. I think it's worth saying uh, the way that uh, that I often think about it is you know we do have a unique selling point in in netball. When you, yeah. And also if you think about the pound and if you think about the pence in the pound com- that's gone into male sport compared to female sport. I do not have a problem in having a female first attitude in what I deliver. I don't think that answers your question directly, but that's more of a personal personal take. There was one thing I just wanted to come back to was around the, the changing um, demographics of our, of our population. We just had the census last year. We've seen how demographics have, have changed. And 
I'm uh, from a volunteer's perspective. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here. I'm not imam, um, but certainly when it comes to a committee, I, I'm I assume that the age of a committee member is older than you know a a player you know that's that's playing competitively, and often it's a natural progression from playing to volunteering or playing to to committee. And the thing that I've always held true to when I took on this new expanded role was um, a French philosopher, Augustus uh, Compe, he talks about their demographics is destiny. And I think that's, that's always been really a powerful thing for me is to really understand demographics is destiny. And when we go back to our conscious inclusion training and the stuff that we're trying to do now, it may be at that participation end of the spectrum. How you know, my job is about how do we get more people playing sport? How do I go to new communities? How do I tackle inequalities? And I'm doing that, I suppose, much more from a player's perspective, but knowing that that is destiny. Like if we bring them into the sport, if we are more diverse as a, as a playing cohort in 2023, in 2043, our, as they <laughs> progress into more of a volunteering role, our demographics is our destiny. So how do we change our demographics now? And some of the ways that we can do that is through the conscious inclusion training. And what I loved about that training was that it wasn't an off the shelf piece. You know, we could have done an off the shelf piece and just said mandatory as part of becoming a member, you need to go and do this exercise, tick box exercise. I was involved slightly on the periphery, but I was absolutely involved in, in the, um, Kind of the uh, the inception of it and the growth of it and that was one of the things that was key to that it could not be that is why it's in a netball setting we recorded specifically around themes and there's a storyline to it which is a realistic one actually based on real world examples that we pulled from other colleagues within our team um to be able to build a story and a narrative for people to learn and uh, to become most um yes impacted by that training by creating the setting that it's in rather than doing that because and I think that's where it's it's worked so I think when you talk about was there was there has there been pushback I'm sure there will have been you know that idea of oh I've got to do this thing I didn't have to do it before now I've got to do it however actually when you get to the end of that training to me what's your feeling then as an as an individual as a volunteer once you've come to the end of that training and I would hazard a guess that it's they that male woke thing that people that organizations are scared of being accused of these days as if it's some kind of negative thing to be you know aware of other people's feelings is that now sort of a, a thing we shouldn't be aspiring to um so rich first time ever on the podcast anyone's referred to a french philosopher so you definitely get a gold star for that one and then your second gold star is for the fact that your next strategic plan will be planning for 2047 i'm sure sport england are going to love yeah. That strategic goal. <laughs> it's already happening. That's the point with this demographics is destiny. It's it's inevitable. We are yeah. in a changing society, and we as a sport have got to change in order to mirror that society. Otherwise, we will yeah. be left behind. Yeah. But I, I think I it come it comes down to, and Rich, you're right, like the, the demographics are usually that older individuals do volunteer because often they have the time. But I also think that kind of volunteering trends across the sector are actually showing that because there's so much going on in the world, there's this concept of micro volunteering and how people can start to get involved and give a little bit, but they don't have to then sign their life away for a long time doing huge amounts of admin. It's kind of how do we work together with volunteers to look at that offer that is inclusive so that people if you don't have time or you perceive you don't have time mm -hmm. actually we can offer more bite-sized opportunities that you can make a difference and just because you're not giving 10 hours a day like there are some incredible volunteers that literally they give their life to the sport and we are incredibly lucky because of that commitment but that shouldn't be Mm. The, the the ultimate we need to have yeah, yeah, we, we, success. That, yeah that that is you know an individual who's chosen to to commit their days their weeks their life to the sport and that is hugely valued but it is also valued if you want to to be there for half an hour you know chris i know that i volunteer to do this with you and yep. you're you're very kind that i just go sometimes right I'm, you're not top of my list right i've, I've got to do the job 
but I feel like that's about the kind of partnership of understanding with each other around the boundaries of you know what what you mm. are giving and and utilizing skills and Danielle where you talked a little bit about you know you feel that sense of belonging when you feel you can sort of see what you are but I think there's that that massive element of actually embracing difference and and enjoying hearing difference of opinion and actually having that makes makes us more successful as a sport and as a society in my opinion I want um, to come back. I definitely want to come back to this uh, belonging because I you know, it's a it's a doing word belonging. It's a it's it's not not a management term. It's a you know it's an emotional sense of being. And I think it's, a, it's such a it's so interesting. You got it in your job title to generate this sense of belonging. I think it's a, I think it's a real nod to the one of the things that's missing in as, as society is becoming more and more individualistic and people are becoming more and more about their own existence. You know, there is a sort of going philosophical again. There is a tension in society of we're being pulled more towards this individualistic sort of state of being. People are more concerned about them and what they consume and what they do, and you know that you that's reflected in there's a you know the reduction in trust within our wider society and these kind of these intangible but really important things that hold communities together, and to see it represent to see the role of sport acknowledging the importance of belonging is again I think it's a really really positive and really interesting approach and you know this getting people involved as volunteers is part of this wider idea of creating a community and asking people to do things that they may not necessarily get any direct benefit from for the wider group is a is is this sense that it's part of this building of trust in the communities that the people are part of you know doing it alongside people they wouldn't normally be working alongside very different people from different age profiles all these kind of things are are essential to a healthy uh healthy civic social life for me and you know, i'm just i mean i'm intrigued Danielle, as to where you see belonging, you know, it's part of your job title. What, how does, how does it manifest itself in your day-to-day work? I guess is what. I'm yeah, gosh, you made so many points there that I wanted to chirp in and and, and interrupt. Um, oh, you have to stop me talking. <laughs> I mean, it, for all each of us on this on this call now, it means something different for each of us. So, um, it can also be the layers of it are also different so you can belong in one group uh because they are so for example i use i use a personal example my daughter plays netball and basketball netball they're all girls and they're predominantly white she's black in basketball they're all boys and they're all black asian non-white seven different languages kids run off the court to go and pray no one thinks about it no one thinks twice there's children who come and play in their older brother's trainers because they can't afford kit. There's kids with disabilities. So it's a complete group of kids that run up and down that are from completely diverse backgrounds and come together. And I've asked Ella this question, my daughter, quite a few times about this sense of belonging while I'm navigating the world and we all are, where does she feel like she belongs the most? And she really struggles to answer that question because on one side, it's girls, like, come on, I'm a girl, like girl power. Like she wants to be with the girls and talk about the things that girls talk about and do all of that stuff. And starting year seven, it's all exciting being a girl when you're 12 for some girls, it is not for all. But then she's with this group where other girls look like her they can talk about their hair braided they can talk about the food they eat they can relax and be who they are at home in that space on the basketball court the language that they use the their whole culture is with them there and she doesn't leave any of that behind that she probably does like subconsciously definitely subconsciously when she's at netball i see two children really no not fundamentally different but in terms of her outward kind of approach and so I think when we're thinking about belonging it's sometimes about the way the head that we put on in that moment as individuals into the space that we're going in to say actually I belong that part of me belongs there um but actually on another day in another time that part of me belongs in that group and then there are some people that would suggest that actually the whole of me I feel like I belong, I want to be with that group because I really belong and I can bring my whole self to that. And that's what's important to to that group. So 
that sense of belonging and all the work that I've done over my years in 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 any in in anything it's all been people um is all about understanding what it means to to other people before we can give people something that's going to make them feel like they belong so in the different groups that we'll be working with across the different minority groups and i don't know what's going to make everybody feel like they belong and we we, we know we're never going to know that um but there has to be a fundamental standard and i think it's interesting because one of the mums at the netball club that I coach at and play at, she always does like the social stuff for, for the girls because her daughter plays on the same team. And I said to her, so like you, were, you, thank you for volunteering. It's amazing that you've done that. And she was like, well, I'm just getting, I, I didn't have to do much. I was just doing, and I, I'm, I'm a volunteer. And she felt, and I was like, well, of course, like you've done this for us four times since September. You've done all the arranging, gathered all the money in, got everybody where they need to be. You are volunteering and to give up your time to help that something the girls really want to do and she felt so proud she felt so proud that she'd done that and that actually she could call herself a volunteer rather than I've just it felt proactive then for her like yeah. a, a thing to do that was helping as opposed to just oh I'll do that and so we set her up with a couple of the other whatsapp groups of the other age groups of the mums that do the same and now they've got this little volunteer network and she actually said to me I really feel like I belong in that group and that's me and my personal time. That's not work. I'm not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. who's belonging out there? Like when I'm at <laughs> <laughs> like everybody, can you feel like you belong? That's just me on my like Tuesday night at training with my daughter. It's, it's nice to see you, you know, you live and you live and breathe it. It's not, it's not but just, know, uh, yeah, just yeah. But to hear her say that, and I just thought what a great anecdote and example to bring back to work and to think about that, 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 that person, even though it was kind of, off her own and I did kind of hook her up with the other group and say the word volunteering but if it wasn't me other people I, I guess would have but um yeah she was like I just really feel like I belong in that group it's brilliant I'm so I'm so happy and I forged friendships you know yeah it's, it's, for me it feels like netball have sort of got the head around this idea organizational sort of empathy that there's at least they're not gonna always gonna get it right but at least they've got at least thinking about it and they're trying to you know Sometimes trying to do something is, is as important as actually doing it at all. You know, having a go at being empathetic and understanding people's needs. And yeah. The intentions that. are there. The intentions. Intention. Yeah, exactly. You don't always, you know, with the best intention in the world, you still don't always get it right. But yeah. at least, at least there's, a, there's, a, there's a fundamentally good intention behind what you're trying to do. And there's some thought being put into it. It's, uh, it'll be interesting in our next podcast when we speak to someone at the board level, Imo, as to, uh, you know, if it's reflected at that level in uh, some of the other NGBs that, he'd work with we'll 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 note that for a question to to ask yeah. <laughs> no, we... so i think it's really important i think like people centered and we we have been really good over the past 10 years around kind of like putting the participant at, at, at the heart of everything to make sure that the offers for netball engage them through things like walking netball that's gone out that really appeals to kind of like women more who, inclusive broader yeah like you know people. that that, yeah. that that netball doesn't always work in its form so how do we adapt the game to kind of support the different groups and i i mean danielle and rich can share but i genuinely feel we are trying to mirror that care for the people because we know the two are intrinsically linked yeah. but it's really hard and i don't think it's a set blueprint or path and no. i don't think we've we we haven't progressed forward in the world of volunteering because I don't think we've ever really, really genuinely and authentically cared ab about it. It's been utilising, and, and that's not from a netball point of view. I think netball have cared, but I don't think we've collectively cared and considered the people who give their time. In sport in particular, we've just let them get on and do it. And we've never thought, well, what do they need? How do we make sure they they're looked after and and that kind of are aware of what they don't know and those things and supported so as as I think both have said every day is a learning day hey I, I feel like and sometimes we go down a route and then we go nah, that's not going to work we need to think about how to differently but we're open to change and we're open to challenge that that would would be my takeaway of, of where we're at well, I'm just aware that we're very much coming to the end of uh, our hour together. It's been lovely uh, just speaking to you both. Uh, Imo's got uh, she she loves a uh, two for uh, two from you, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand you over. To 
Demo, and she's uh, got a little final challenge for you both. You know, you know, I love these things. Don't. Uh... Well, we love a challenge because Rich and I played netball against each other on Tuesday, and I, yeah, and he's never playing against him again. <laughs> well, Danielle, you you call it a challenge. That's that's your words, not mine. <laughs> oh God! Right. So let's finish our two from you, and I'll tell you what two from you is. So it's one word from your professional kind of experience of volunteering and one word from your personal world of volunteering that you feel sum up volunteering for you professionally or personally. So what two words would you bring to the table? One from your kind of lens through work and one through your kind of personal volunteer journeys that would would summarise what volunteering means to you? Professionally, I'd say straight away, I think inspirational. Like I'm just in awe of the volunteers at work and that I've worked around over the years. Personally, you see the volunteering that I've done, I guess active volunteering that I get my family, like that we do every year, you know, and I, and that was something I would have actually got onto. It's really important, I think, that we it becomes part of what we do. You mentioned, Chris, yeah. about sharing yeah. and other people um, actually have got a focus on themselves at the moment in society. It seems to be going down that way. And I'm really conscious that my children are aware of what volunteering we're going to do this year what are we interested in who can we help like that it's just yep. a natural thing so we've done you know soup kitchens and things in hospitals and presents and those types of things that we've that that, that we've that we've done not necessarily in sport though my daughter's now on the volunteer um, set up with England netball um uh, so um I don't know so personally so many different words come and I think gratitude might be my personal one Oh, that was my professional one, Danielle. That oh, was, no. That was my <laughs> professional one. And I was it's always say, terrible going second, Rich. That's the problem. Well, I know, but <laughs> Daniel seemed to have quite a few words there. Not two words, but my, my professional one was, was going to be gratitude because I think it's just, you know, we've spoken about it a little bit, but without volunteers and sport, not just netball, just doesn't run. And, mm. you know... Um, what is it, 3.8 roles per volunteer or something like that, Imo, I seem to remember in meetings you chirping on about. But that gratitude is... is is, Yeah, he did say that, he did say that. (laughs) But it's genuine, isn't it? It's It's a genuine gratitude in order to do that. And from a personal point of view, I think it's opportunity, like the opportunities that I've been afforded because of volunteering, the places that I've been, the people that I've met, the travel that I've I've had, the worlds that I've, I've seen, has just made me a more well-rounded and I think better at my job. So my, my personal has absolutely impacted my professional when it comes to it. So we'll have that linking word of, of grateful um, yeah. from Danielle and I. But for me, from a personal point of view, it's that opportunity that's afforded me. is something that. which, you know, I you know, money can't buy, literally. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Amazing. Other than you too, we like them, we like them ones. Yeah, they're really good. Well, and that I'm really proud to work with you both and kind of I'm really grateful for the passion that you have for volunteers for us to kind of get this right. So thanks for coming on the show. But I feel like there's another four or five episodes in some of the content <laughs> here. So it, I, I feel like this is the start the of the journey, thing. right? The next Maybe, thing. Will you yeah. come back? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for your time and good luck with everything you're doing in the future. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to you both for what you're doing and for this podcast. Thank you.